Uh, the Bible reading is taken from Romans 9, and verses 1 to 29, and it's headed, Israel's unbelief. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel, who pursued the law as the way of righteousness, have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the, the stumbling stone, as it is written. See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that sorry, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord who has believed our message. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world, ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those 
who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, everyone. My name is Flick. Um, I'm on the staff team here at Mary Creek, if you don't know me, and I'm going to preach for us today. But before I do that, let me just pray as we start. Beautiful God, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you that we have freedom to come and to learn from your word. And we pray that as we listen to your word today, that you will show us what you want us to see and that we will know your love and your grace towards us. Amen. So as I said, my name is Flick, and uh, I'm preaching today on our next instalment in the Romans series. So as a church, um, we've been plugging away at Romans for a while, and each week we're learning more about the gospel, or the good news, which is what Paul is writing about. And um, I'm taking this opportunity, if you're interested in refreshing your memory on Romans, or you haven't heard our previous sermons, then you can find them on SoundCloud under the Merry Creek name. So it's a good place to go and to uh, catch up if you haven't heard Um, But yeah, last week we had Tom French preach to us and Tom was preaching on the first part of chapter 9. So we've obviously heard the next part of chapter 9 and chapter 10 as well. And Tom's sermon was a fairly challenging sermon because it's the part of the letter that is speaking about God's sovereign choice. Paul says that God has chosen some people to be made righteous, but not everyone has this righteousness from God. Even Israel, who are the people that God has set apart in history to be his particular representatives and not all achieving righteousness before God. And so this is why this part of Romans is tricky, because it raises the question, is God trustworthy? Will God follow through on all his promises to Israel? And the answer to this question affects everyone, not just Israel. Because righteousness, as the Bible presents it, is the way to be included in God's family. And being included in God's family also means having a new life, which is free from the effects of sin. To be considered righteous is a good, desirable and life-giving state. So the problem is, if God isn't keeping his promises to his own people then perhaps he can't be trusted to keep his promises to everybody else. Will God come through with the new life that he promised us? Well, in today's passage, Paul's answer is yes. Yes, God is faithful to his word and his promises, but not only that, Paul says that God has already fulfilled these promises. The problem is that Israel have failed to see that God has fulfilled these promises. So when I was in New Zealand recently, my housemate and I went for this hike up to the top of Wairere Falls, which is uh, a waterfall in um, some sort of mountain ranges in the North Island. And as you might expect, um, as with most parts of New Zealand, as you walk to the summit, you are surrounded by the most spectacular scenery. There's intense green and there's like huge mossy rocky boulders and cascading waters. It's, it's truly beautiful. But what we found is that trying to reach the summit of a waterfall, which is in a mountain range, in winter, in a forest next to a river, means that this path was steep and rocky and muddy. And so as we walked, my housemate and I had to try and pick our way up this path, which was, you know, slippery and, like, at times quite precarious. 
And we had to do this quite carefully in order to try and prevent uh, injuring ourselves or falling down and, you know, landing in the mud. So as we walked, we discovered two things about this path. Because picking the path was tricky, at times we'd become so focused on the rocks and mud under our feet that we would fail to see what was coming next or to see the beauty that was surrounding us. The second thing we discovered was that the rocks in the path were both the safest footing for us and also the most treacherous part of the track. If you stood on the rocks properly, then they became firm ground for your next step. But if you misjudged your step, then these rocks actually became the tripping point, the ankle-breaking point, and that would bring you crashing down into the mud. In the same way, today's passage looks at the two paths that we can choose in responding to Jesus. We can either be like the Israelites, who were so focused on the path of the law that they ignored Jesus and stumbled over him. Or, on the other hand, we can accept the beauty of God's promises and let Jesus be the firm foundation for our new life with him. Because the way that God has fulfilled his promises to Israel and to everyone is through this stumbling stone, Jesus Christ. And if we each want to experience new life, then what today's passage is telling us is that we need to put our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. So we need to ask ourselves why Jesus is a stumbling stone for some people. And of course, there are probably many reasons. But one of the reasons, at least, is that in the minds of many people, following Jesus just isn't cool. And when I say he isn't cool, it means it's irrelevant, it's outdated, it's restrictive. I once had a nursing colleague that I was having a conversation with um, over our morning tea break. And in that conversation, we were talking about my beliefs, and he said to me that he just didn't believe anything that was written more than 500 years ago. The Bible was irrelevant to him, Um, And it was irrelevant because for him it was irrational to trust something that had been written 2,000 years ago. I probably didn't have the words to say it at the time, but for me I was like, well, that doesn't really seem to fit very well with my understanding. And it was because I realised that kind of means that you're ruling out like the Egyptian hieroglyphics, you're ruling out Socrates and Plato, you're ruling out so much of what we base our ideas and our understanding on. But... Perhaps following Jesus isn't cool because his teachings are outdated. Maybe the ideology that Jesus taught was helpful in his own cultural setting and context, but doesn't really apply now. It doesn't take into account, for example, what technology and science have taught. However, we need to be careful that we're not chucking the baby out with the bathwater. If we discredit any teaching or ideas that don't wholly fit our own cultural context then we do miss out on learning from people like Plato and Socrates or from Nietzsche or from Shakespeare. All of these big philosophers, writers, people that we take so much from all become irrelevant because they don't quite fit the space that we function in. So yes, we do have to work harder to understand what Jesus said and how it applies to our context. And that is obviously part of our intention in our Sunday sermons and our community groups. But to ignore Jesus' teachings... Uh, if nothing else, is to miss out on some great tips for life. Perhaps another reason that following Jesus isn't cool is because it is restrictive. Jesus says, don't hate, and teaches people not to hold grudges, and instead says, forgive people. But then how does that fit our culture of outrage? 
what would people be posting on social media if they couldn't get you know, up in arms about an injustice that they've experienced? Or perhaps it's because Jesus says, uh, don't store up for yourselves riches on earth. But then how will I afford the next iPhone or my yearly overseas holidays or the latest fashions or the swankiest home decor? Jesus says, don't lust after others. But maybe that means I can't go and hook up with people every Friday night or maybe I need to rethink my Tinder use. And Jesus teaches self-control to people. But of course, that means that we have to be willing to deny ourselves, which is restrictive in our age of personal freedom. So all of these things can make Jesus a stumbling stone. Perhaps most significantly, Jesus doesn't offer a partial commitment to following him. Jesus doesn't say, follow me if it feels good, but you know, if you don't really like it, that's fine. Instead, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So either you choose to follow Jesus wholeheartedly or you reject him. Following Jesus means submitting to his absolute claims. And Romans 10 verse 4, so part of the passage that we've read, says that the reasons that the Israelites have stumbled over Jesus was because they sought to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. The Israelites had been given the law and they were trying to earn their righteousness through the law. But we are told in our passage that even Moses, who gave them the law, as in who God used to give them the law, even Moses recognised that the only way to be righteous through the law was by living every minute detail of it. It doesn't take long to figure out that we are not going to manage that. So following Jesus requires submitting to him. And this means being willing to give up control. Israel have assumed that because God has given them the law, the way for them to be made righteous is through keeping every aspect of it. But actually... God gave Israel the law because through it, he had an intention, he had a mission to bless the whole earth. And this blessing comes in many ways. Uh, For example, the law reflects God's perfect character. And so God intended that Israel lived out the law. They would reveal his character to the people and the nations around. But more importantly, God always intended that righteousness and salvation and life would come to all people through the one person who fulfilled all of the law. And of course, you can ask, who is this one person? And Romans 10 verse 4 tells us, it says, Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. Jesus Christ is God's righteousness. God's expectation was not that people would achieve righteousness through following all those laws perfectly. That was actually always the role for his chosen saviour, who is the Christ. And so this is why Israel is not being counted as righteous, but the Gentiles are. Because people are made right with God through putting their faith in the message of the gospel, which we are told in verse 9 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is not by our works. And it is not by waiting for Christ to come down from heaven or up from the abyss because Christ has already come. He is near you. And we are told in the passage that there is not one way for Israel to be made righteous and another way for everybody else. There is no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. The same Lord is the Lord of all. The same Lord richly blesses all who call on him because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
putting your faith in Jesus, who is righteous on our behalf, is the way to become righteous and experience new life. But that means, as I said, letting go of control. And I don't know about you, but that for me is not an easy thing to do. This is one of the ways that Jesus can be a stumbling stone for us. So this year I've been trying to work out whether I think I should be ordained as an Anglican minister or not. And it's a big decision, so as you can imagine, that requires a lot of personal reflection. And in this process of self-reflection, even two days ago, having a conversation with my housemate, one of the things that became very evident to me and has been becoming increasingly evident to me is that I really don't like admitting my weaknesses. Like, perhaps irrationally, I just don't like saying that I'm weak. Uh, So one of the things I'm noticing is I think of leaving nursing behind to do full-time ministry... I am obviously faced with having to put myself into a position of vulnerability where I have to be prepared to admit that there are things that I don't know and I will have to trust other people to teach me skills that I don't have. And perhaps you can relate to that feeling. I hope I'm not alone in that. Um, But the idea of having to be weak in front of other people is actually so terrifying to me. And I don't mean like, ah, it's just a bit uncomfortable, like tear-inducing, heart-pounding writhing on the inside, not pleasant feelings, because for me, I don't know how messy it is going to get if I'm that weak. If I let go and let that weakness happen and let my life get as messy as I think it will, who knows what will actually happen, but that's, you know, in my head, then I'm afraid that there will be no one to save me from that mess. No one willing to stay with me while I unravel and have to deal with whatever it is that might be there. And as a single woman like Bridget Jones and having crises of, oh my gosh, I'm going to like die and be eaten by our stations and no one's going to find me for, you know, 10 weeks. That is a a real thought that crosses my mind sometimes. I don't actually live alone. That's, you know, useful. But there is fear, like real fear about who will be there if I actually unravel, who is going to be there to save me from that space. It is far easier to hold onto the control which we think we have than to put our faith in someone else. And it is easy to fall into a trap of believing that you need to be a better person in order to be accepted and loved. This is a message that I think sadly sometimes we preach from the front of church unintentionally. And it is definitely a message that our culture presents to us in our DIY shows and in our marketing, uh, even in our educational systems. And I imagine that this is possibly why Israel felt that they had to hold on to the law so tightly. But it's not the gospel truth. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You are considered acceptable by the God of all things as soon as you trust in Jesus. And you receive blessing from God as soon as you put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. You are welcomed into the family of God as soon as you call on the name of Jesus. And that means that you are not alone. This is a beautiful truth. And this is the other option that we are given, the other path that we can choose. Rather than stumbling over Jesus, we can make him the foundation of our new life with God. But of course, the important question is, why would we trust Jesus with our lives? Well, one of the beauties of the gospel is that we find God's character revealed in his law and embodied by Jesus, who is God's representative. This is how we know that God is trustworthy and that we can put our faith 
in Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we see a God who devotes his life to seeking out the messy people in society and to lifting them out of their struggles. Jesus is committed to helping people out, even at their worst. When we look at Jesus, we see a God who is in control, not just of the spiritual world, but of the physical world as well. Yes, he cast out demons, but he also calmed the storm. Jesus is big enough to handle our mess. When we look at Jesus, we see a God who chose to give himself up as a sacrifice so that the weight of the consequences of our actions would not separate us from God's blessing forever. No matter how much we doubt ourselves, nothing can separate us from God's love. When we look at Jesus, we see God's good plan for life. We are shown an ethical way to live. We are shown a way to live in relationship with other people and with God and a way that values the earth that we live in. Not only will Jesus rescue us, but he will give us a family to support us. When we look at Jesus, we see a God who offers hope for the future by starting to transform our life in the power of the Holy Spirit and promising to complete this transformation when he returns. Jesus promises that he can transform anyone. No one is beyond his interests. It is a beautiful truth that rather than having to pick our way through the tricky path of the law and missing out on the beauty of our surroundings, we can plant our feet firmly on the rock that God has established, which is Jesus Christ. We cannot earn our salvation or righteousness, but we can have faith that Jesus is righteous for us. This is God's grace towards us, that God reaches out to us and offers us righteousness freely through Jesus. And this has been God's intention all along. This is his mission. God has always acted in history to offer this free and gracious gift to people. So when Paul says in verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, it is this beautiful truth that he's speaking about. He's not saying that people need to be foot models before they go out and preach the news of God. He's saying that it is a good season. It is timely for people to preach the news about Jesus. It is a good season because people need to know that they do not need to be better in order to be accepted or loved or made right with God. They need to know that there is someone trustworthy who is able and willing to rescue them from their mess. But in order for people to put their faith in Jesus, they have to hear about him. And to hear about him, somebody needs to go to tell them. And in order for someone to tell them, someone needs to be sent. It's very logical. And we, who know Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, and who live with the assurance that we are right with God, and who have freedom in Christ and who have escaped final judgment, and who will live in eternity, and who enjoy God's presence in our everyday lives, we who experience the fruits of the Spirit, and who are never alone, and who are loved by God, and who have hope for the future, we would do well to remember that someone once told us about Jesus. And that made it possible for us to accept him. And because of that, we now live in this blessing and this free and gracious gift. We would do well to remember these things and to declare Jesus in our life. 
And of course, the way that we declare Jesus doesn't always mean that we walk around saying to people, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. That's not what it means necessarily to declare Jesus in our life, but it might be sometimes, and that's not a bad thing. But it does mean having integrity in what you say you believe. If you believe something in your heart so deeply, how does that affect your life? What does that look like? How does it work out in the way that you do things? If you are convinced that Jesus is actually the one who is sovereign in your life, that has the right to say what is good and what is not, what does that mean for the choices that you make and the way that you relate to people? Does it mean that in your workplace you actually say, yeah, I am a Christian and this is something that's important to me? Does it mean that when you are walking down the street, the way that you see people in need, you respond to them because you know that Jesus has said, go and help people? Does it mean that you choose not to do Sunday morning sports because you know that being part of God's community on a Sunday morning and learning from the word is important? It will look different at different times in your life for different people, but declaring Jesus in our lives is something that we should be thinking about. What does that look like for me? What does it look like for me in my workplace? What does it look like for me when I walk down the street? People must hear about Jesus to accept him. So in the passage that we've looked at, Paul isn't actually sort of saying you personally must be sent. He's saying God has sent Jesus already. Jesus has come and people have heard about him. Um, and he's just challenging, I think, people to say that Israel can't plead ignorance about not knowing God's promises. And that's important for us to think about too, that even though we have doubts, and they will be real doubts, we can't really say we don't know God. Like most of us, I mean, you're sitting here, you've now heard about Jesus. Um, but also, like the passage says that in God's way, he has revealed himself in the world. Creation reveals God and God has revealed himself in such a way that even though Israel might have ignored God, the world, like the nations around him that God hasn't actively gone to in the Old Testament, have been able to see God. Isaiah says about God, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Despite God reaching towards them to offer himself, Israel were too proud to accept God's path to righteousness in choosing instead to trust in their own abilities. And perhaps like me, there was fear underlying their pride, um, fear of giving up control of their life to God. But this is why across history, God has shown himself to be loving and trustworthy. And so... God has given Israel a good reason to put their trust in him and to have this opportunity to accept the gift that he is offering them. So the question is, I guess, what will you take away from this? Obviously, um, we've said that there are two paths that we get to choose. We can see Jesus as a stumbling block or we can see him as a foundation for life. And those paths do stand before us. And I think regardless of whether you've grown up in the church or not, at some point we are still required to make this decision. So I've been raised in a Christian household, so I've always known Jesus. I can't remember a time where I didn't know Jesus. And actually, like, reflecting back on my life, that means, for me, there's never been a time where I've actually truly felt alone, which is huge and amazing. Um, it doesn't mean I haven't had moments of loneliness, but to know that I'm never entirely alone is an amazing and beautiful gift. But despite growing up in a Christian household, I still, when I got to university um, and found 
independence from my parents, had to make a choice, had a moment where I had to try and um, decide how I was going to move forward in life because all of a sudden the world had been opened up to me and I realised there were all these paths, all these different options for how I would go forward. And there did come a time where I had to stop and go, well, I do know Jesus is real, but am I prepared to follow him wholeheartedly? And so... I don't think that was me saying I wasn't a Christian and now I am, but it was another point in life where I had to say, am I really committed to going forward and saying, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Saviour? And I think that that is something that each of us, and maybe more than once, will have to do in our lives. We'll have to stop and say, am I properly committed to following Jesus with all that I am? We do have a real choice in this. And so we've heard in other weeks that God is sovereign and God chooses, but the mystery of faith is that, yes, God chooses, but we are still given freedom to choose. And so we don't have to do this. We don't have to follow Christ. But if you think it's worthwhile, and I think there are so many beautiful things about following Jesus, then the choice is ours to make. We do need to choose to commit to that. And so I guess the challenge is to try and give over control as well to let God be God and uh, to recognise, I guess, that even though, you know, sometimes we think that by holding on we will maintain some control, but actually in doing that we are also taking on ourselves a burden, a huge responsibility to try and be righteous um, in a way that we never really can achieve. Even if we succeed for a day or a few hours, something's going to happen and we're just not going to get it right. And that puts us back in that cycle of sin as in... Uh, of rebellion against a good God's good order dragging us down and so I guess you have the option to choose Uh, if you feel that you are stumbling over the requirements of God's law and are getting bogged down in feeling guilt or inadequacy then take a moment to stop and look at the beautiful surroundings that God has offered us and to remember that Jesus Christ is our righteousness that you are not required to try and be righteous yourself Um, as in It is good to do good things, but you cannot earn your salvation. Jesus has done that for you. And so remember that and have confidence in that. And if you want to be made right with God, if you don't think you have chosen Jesus and you want to be made right with God, then as we've been told in the passage again, all you need to do is to declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you are saved. And if we truly want all the bad stuff in life to disappear, in our own lives and in the world around us, then actually sharing Jesus with other people is one way to do that. Because as other people accept God into their lives, then they are also being transformed, just as we are being transformed. And that means that the kingdom of God is growing, and God's kingdom is a kingdom of peace and love and hope. And so... Um, It's hard to say that people won't benefit from there being more peace in the world, more love in the world, more hope in the world. So this is what we're saying when we say share Jesus with people. It's not to make you feel guilty. It's to recognise that as we uh, embrace, if we know that God brings us peace and brings us joy and brings us hope, then this is what we're saying we're offering to people. If you share Jesus with other people, then this is what you're sharing with them. And so it's not meant to be burdensome. It's meant to be an encouragement that actually the thing that we have in Christ is beautiful it is good it is something that is enriching in our lives and that it is worth telling other people about that because if you're speaking to people about the way that Jesus has changed your life then they will get a glimpse of that goodness and they'll have an opportunity to respond to that as well and so that is my encouragement to you today 
um, to think about the way that you can speak about Jesus in your life. And so I'm going to pray and finish. Beautiful Father, thank you for your great love for us, your faithfulness to your word and your promises, and your plan to give us new life through Jesus Christ. Help us not to stumble over Jesus. May pride never stop us from enjoying the free gift of life that we have received. And help us, Lord, to declare that Jesus is Lord so that others can experience new life and blessing from you too. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.